Southern Skies. Online Media. This episode of Plane Crazy Down Under is proudly sponsored by the GA8 Airvan. Proudly manufactured right here in Australia by Gips Aero. Gipsaero.com. And by Aircraft Sales and Imports. The strong Aussie dollar means there's never been a better time to import an aircraft. www.aircraftimports.com.au Well, g'day folks and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 76 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. I'm Steve Vischer and joining me as always, buried beneath a stack of CASA paperwork, it's Grant McHeron. Are you there, Grant? Hello, mate. What are you doing under there? Come out from all that paperwork, would you? Ah, dude. Well, what a week it's been. Oh, yes, the triumphant look of somebody who's passed a CASA order. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, <laughs> we welcome back to the show Kathy Mexted. G'day, Kathy. Hi, guys. How are you? We're very well. Welcome back to the show and uh, welcome back from your trip to the Outback and back. Is that a word? <laughs> the Outback and back? <laughs> Does that mean yeah, you've I'm gone back. out really Outback? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, we did. Well, look, we're going to talk a bit about your trip. But first, Grant, a CASA audit. To do with yeah. balloons, tell us all about it, mate, and tell us what you've been doing and why I haven't been able to get an email through to you for about the last three months. <laughs> well, it's been pretty busy since I got back from Oshkosh, yeah. Uh, this is common stuff for anyone who does charter operations or um, air work and things like that. If you've got an air operator certificate from CASA, every three or four years you go through a renewal process and you also um, are likely to get an audit to make sure that the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. Uh, they'll come and watch your operations and they'll just make sure that everything's generally going down correctly and that you're uh, not getting too lax or cowboy-like. There's been a few things that had to be done to uh, make sure we're all in a line and all that. And we, we're t- taking advantage of the opportunity to update a few of our uh, procedures manuals and ops manual. So, of course, I uh, had to get up to speed with uh, CAP 215, which tells you what's required in an ops manual. Uh, I'm basically doing a lot of the admin work required to help out the chief pilot. He's got a lot of stuff on his plate at the moment. And uh, so I've been spending the last three months coming up to speed a lot on uh, air on uh, the CAPS uh, drug and alcohol management programs. That was why I was looking a bit damp the other day. We were getting reviewed on that, so had to make sure that it met the current standards as opposed to how it was when it was first drafted. And yeah, I also went through my damp supervisor um, assessment and education and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's been a pretty busy time and the chief pilot's been kept pretty busy and I've been doing what I can to help him out and get a whole lot of stuff together. Uh, it's really been the last couple of weeks that have just been absolutely flat out. Uh, before that, it was more me trying to get time to come up to speed on things. Uh, also, at the same time, we've had, we fly the giant glass of beer balloon. Looks like a 10-story high glass of beer. It's a wonderful balloon. I've had a lot of fun with that one myself. So not just trying to drink it. So we've been uh, flying that one around Australia in various locations on behalf of Foster's Beer Company, the uh, Carlton United Brewers, which is a division of Foster's. So they've had it going to various events all around Australia, up in Darwin and Queensland, in various areas of regional Victoria. So I've been absolutely flat out putting all the paperwork together and planning that and making sure we had everything ready and CASA permits because a lot of our operations were close to uh, registered airports, all that kind of stuff. So it's all just basically been waiting for me as soon as I got back from uh, Oshkosh. So uh, when the uh, the auditor actually comes in, it's just a matter of you presenting uh, all this documentation to him. I mean, do they go out and do they inspect your equipment as well or is it just basically a, a paperwork exercise? Uh, what's the procedure for that? Oh, for us, it uh, really all came to a head. Uh, 
head uh, today where one of the a gentleman from CASA uh, came out, observed our operations on the field, came back, went through a whole lot of stuff with the chief pilot, uh, reviewed ops manual, reviewed um various things like our, our catalog of standard launch and landing sites, our training procedures, went through and had a look at all that, went through to review that, yeah, we were actually um, collecting the signatures to show that we'd done training, that we'd uh, progressed things through. All, all those kind of things are, are reviewed. And because we'd only recently had one, actually, our previous one had been kind of delayed, it made it a lot easier for him because he just, uh, it didn't take him a whole week or anything like that for us. It was, it was more... Um, um, going through and looking at what had changed and discussing a few things with us. So it was, in the end, all over kind of quickly, actually. Yeah, almost an anti-climax because I, I know, and uh, you know, listeners probably wouldn't be aware of this, but Grant has been absolutely flat out for weeks on this. So uh, I guess, mate, it was a bit of an anti-climax once it was all said and done. Uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty good feeling to know it all worked together. I mean, a big reason why I've been flat out is me coming up to speed on everything and making sure I'm actually able to help out. Um, also, like I was saying, all the... the the coordination of the various special shapes, including the pot of beer. Uh, we've also got a, one that looks like the nudie figure from the juice uh, group. We've got the um, Liberty Financial House, uh, a number of other special shapes. That so so there's just been a lot of stuff going on, as well as the um, the audit prep. And so yeah, it all just came to a head in a very short amount of time. So that's why I've been flat out. If it had just been this, and if I had have already known everything I needed to know, it would have been a lot quicker. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm glad that's over, mate, because that's just peanuts compared to all the work I've had banking up for you. So, uh, you know, I'll give you 24 hours rest and, uh, you know, then, then I've got plenty of work to keep you busy for the next six months. Oh, did I mention I've got lots of stuff I've still got to do and I've got to get to the whole next level no, of no, air no, law and all that? Not listening, mate. Not listening, mate. Uh, la, 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 la. <laughs> now, uh, well, you've been working very hard. Cathy, uh, you've been out leading a life of leisure. You've been uh, flying out to, uh, was it Outback South Australia you took yourself off to? Yeah, we flew to the Flinders Ranges to Wilpena Pound and then across to Lake Mungo and then home again. Does that was mean you've re- been back of beyond? I think so. Wow. I think so. It was a fair way away. Okay, now are you quick in the bonanza? In the bonanza, okay. So, oh. Oh. <laughs> Did I mention yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely the blue one, wasn't it? No, it's actually burgundy and deep grey in the fleet oh. colours. <laughs> Same well, colour as the cub. Well, that's probably well. That must be com- a bit confusing for you if they're the same colour, Kathy. How do you identify the technical <laughs> specifications of the two aircraft? I don't know, mate. I just get in it, and work it out when I get there. <laughs> yeah, I should tell our listeners, Kathy made us promise we wouldn't ask her that question, so we'll just move on. <laughs> You're evil. You're evil. We've, the aeroplane belonged to my father-in-law. He's had it for probably eighteen or twenty years, I think, and. Um, he decided to uh, – it's been in the hangar for a little while. So it's just got a new engine in it and it's, gonna, it's up for sale. So uh, Dennis and I decided we'd insure it and fly it for a year and have a bit of fun before it left our grasp. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Dennis just said one day, why don't you take the plane and get a few pass- get a couple of paying passengers and head off. So we originally planned to go to Ayers Rock, but um, my co-pilot, who's got way more experience than me, said, I reckon that's a long way to manage uh, a couple of passengers – the two passengers that we took were new to flying and uh, she was very correct in that assumption because um, we went from Kyneton, was 90 minutes up to Mildura and then another 90 minutes out at the Flinders Ranges and by the time we got half an hour this side of Mildura, passenger number one was throwing up oh. and passenger number two was holding the bag for her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's friendship. We called it Thelma and the Three Louises. And- <laughs> 
L2 and L3 didn't fare so well. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty bumpy and the weather was um, was a bit of a dodgy week for weather. We had actually planned to go out to Lake Eyre but because the day that we were meant to fly home, the weather was foul. So we had to cut out the Lake Eyre bit, which was a shame because I was desperate to get to William Creek. When I was learning to fly, someone said to me, you've got to go to this pub where you can fly up to the back door. But, um, yeah, I'll get there another day. Well, tell Morgan. us a bit about Wilpina Pound uh, just at the top there, Cathy. I mean, what is it? Where exactly is it for our international listeners? Wilpina Pound is in the centre of the Flinders Ranges, which is in South Australia, runs north-south. And um, it's about four hours drive north of Adelaide. And it's uh, a natural amphitheatre and it's 1,500 feet high, 17, mile, 17 kilometres long and seven kilometres wide. So it looks like a big crater, but it actually was formed under the sea however many gazillion years ago. And um, it's a really interesting place. The floor of the inside of it is 200 feet higher than the land around it. And so it was discovered by Eyre, what was his name, Edward Eyre, Edwin Eyre, on his way to, he was the guy that named Lake Eyre. And so it's sort of been settled by the Europeans since the mid-1850s. But now it's a fabulous tourist attraction. They've got their own airstrip, which is on the north side of the pound. And then there's uh, Rawnsley Park Strip, which is on the south, which is where we flew into because um, we were too chicken to go into the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a fully loaded like- Bonanza. In my father-in-law's fully loaded Bonanza <laughs> <laughs> with its new engine and lovely paint job. <laughs> I'd rather crash the, the car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do they get a lot of people flying up there, Kathy? I mean, is it you know? It's um, it, I must be honest. It's not a place I'd I'd heard of before. But um, is it you know a lot of a lot uh, of people flying in there? I'm amazed how many people haven't heard of it. We flew over it about I don't know 13 or 14 years ago. Dennis and I were flying around that way, and um, he he said you got to come and have a look at this place. And we flew down and flew around very low around the outside of it, and um. It was so specky. I said to him, you know, can we go down there? And he said, oh, no, we've got to get to Robe or wherever we're going. But I'll bring you back. And, of course, you know, time goes by and we never got back till this week, this month. Yeah. So I think a lot of people stop over there now on their way out to Lake Eyre. It's a pretty popular stopover. Oh. And they've got, you know, there's a great lodge there and the airstri- airstrips are um, usable and the people who run the lodge are very um, user-friendly, you know. It was all incredibly easy to organise beautiful place. That is the benefit of having an aircraft or access to an aircraft here in Australia is, uh, you know, to drive out there from somewhere like Melbourne would be multiple days. I just said to someone yesterday, they said, where did you go on your four days? And I said, oh, we had two nights at Lake, at um, uh, Wilpena Pound. And they said, how long did it take you to get there? And I said, oh, two lots of 90 minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. three hours. And this guy just looked at me and goes, that's a 17-hour drive. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but from Melbourne, you know, it was a great trip actually, just that um, the three points, three legs out there yeah. across to Lake Mungo and back, really achievable. Yeah, and of course, well, we've heard recently that um, we know, in fact, that Lake Eyre is in flood at the moment, which is um, making, uh, you know, a big tourist attraction. We know a lot of operators from down here in Victoria, for example, are, are making a, a good business at the moment of uh, taking tourists up there. So uh, I guess in the, the part where you were at Wilpena Pound, I mean, how's the vegetation there? I mean, is it desolate out there? Is it uh, quite green? I mean, how's, how does it look from the air? Oh, well, Victoria, of course, looks green and patchwork and beautiful. Almost as soon as you cross the border, it becomes outback, you know, the dirt goes red and the, it gets a bit scrubby. But the Flinders Ranges are absolutely divine and flying up to Wilpena Pound, it was 
just like a big um, saddle-shaped, jagged, rocky structure, you know, in front of you. It's pretty beautiful. I, I didn't want to come home. I actually wanted to keep going. And uh, also on the list you've got here is uh, Mungo Lodge, another place you stopped uh, north of Mildura. Tell us about that. Lake Mungo is a dry lake that dried up about, I don't know, fifteen or 20,000 years ago um, after the Ice Age when the riverbed river changed course and so that lake system dried up. In the 70s, they discovered Mungo Man and Mungo Woman and they are estimated to be about 40,000 years old. And uh, so they're very important archaeological sites now for Australia. And um, that was only 90 minutes from Melbourne. So it's really accessible, but it's really outback. We flew in there and they've got beautiful big cross strips in the red dirt. You know, they jump out at you. The airstrip's just been maintained it gets maintained weekly, kind of groomed weekly. But the whole place was renovated about three years ago, the lodge, the strip and the um, accommodation there. So uh, it's a really beautiful place to go. It's four star and there's a French couple, Catherine and Jacques, who are running it now. They've been there for three years since the Renault. Um, and he's a very well-known chef and they've both worked in hospitality and they both are aviation enthusiasts. So you get a 10% discount on your accommodation if you fly in and uh, the food was just to die for. It's beautiful. And in the morning I got up and I was sitting there typing up a story on the laptop out on the back deck and I just thought, God, you couldn't ask for more than this, you know. It's just so (laughs) quiet and gorgeous. Yeah, it's lovely. And there's a lot to see there away from the lodge as well. Now, Cathy, while you're at uh, Wilpena Pound, you were uh, good enough to uh, record an interview uh, with some of the pilots up there. And as our listeners will see, they're quite uh, young people working up there, young pilots uh, predominantly building hours. Is is that what you found when you're up there? There's a lot of uh, younger pilots up there doing exactly that? I was only there for two days. The only two charter operations in the place is Air Wilpena and then um, on the south side of Wilpena Pound is uh, Rawnsley Park Station and they've got an operation there as well. So yeah, there's probably only a handful of them, but it's a really well-known proving ground for young guns coming out of flying school. And um, Lynette Rashid sent me through some information to sort of back up that interview. And they was reiterated that fact that they take pride that the majority of their pilots come from Adelaide. So they may employ mainly South Australians and most of them with such low time, you know, it's hard to get that first job. And so as um, Mark says in the interview, it only takes about 12 months at the moment and they've got enough to go on to the next step. And yeah, they've had a lot of pilots go through there that have ended up with the airlines and flying doctors and um, other sorts of places. And uh, they started that business back in the 60s. And so it's one of the oldest continually operating family businesses in Australia. The idea of doing the trip was for me to get a bit of currency again. And um, one of the things I noticed that added to the workload was having passengers and new flyers and then they're sick and then they're incredibly nervous about being in the aeroplane. So just having to, you know, factor that in, even though they're fantastic. We all laughed until we couldn't speak, you know, once we got to the bar. But when we're in the air, (laughs) because we all had headsets on, the other woman, Lindy, who was in the front with me, she and I would be talking and chatting about stuff. And um, I kept forgetting that they'd be listening in the back. And L4, (laughs) the other Louise, in the back, she said she was watching the fuel flow gauge because... I said to Lindy at one point, oh, where do you want that to sit? And she said, oh, keep it around 62. And um, <laughs> Kathy said, the other Kathy, she goes, I was watching that thing and I didn't take my eyes off it for about half an hour. And it got down to 58 and I thought, if it gets to 55, I'm going to smack you in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing worse than a back I you were listening that closely. <laughs> There'll be a quiz next time. <laughs> Maybe you can fly the plane. And she had the iPad. That was fantastic having the iPad because 
there was parts where the GPS um, flicked out where it wasn't getting any coverage. and yeah. So you're back to your compass and your ruler and your map. No. But she had the iPad and she yeah, clutched it like – yeah, well, she had the iPad in the back and she was clutching that thing. When we took off out of Rawnsley, um, I was fiddling with the bug and the, you know, the DG and uh, <laughs> got a bit confused. And she said she was looking at the purple line that's meant to be our track. And then she's looking at the green line, which is where we're actually going. And it looked a bit like the Murray River, you know, snaking up. And down this thing. <laughs> she said, I was nervous, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> so, yeah. You say nothing to see here. We're all professionals here. Yeah, yeah well, that's right. Or you could say something like, like I say, you know, if you get nervous, just do what I do and shut your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> the funniest thing that happened was um, you again. <laughs> when we stopped in Mildura for fuel, on the, like the first stop and we had the sick passenger, we went and got a coffee and Louise 4 went and bought Louise 3 some barley sugar and wet face washes. And the taxi driver taking us back to the airport said, but the big virgin of just, you know, they don't leave till four o'clock. And we said, no, we're going to the GA. And, and he said, you're flying, but where are the men? <laughs> Lindy yeah. goes, I didn't think we needed one. <laughs> it was funny. Well, we had yeah. a man at the other end of the bus, so he was useful. Uh, I didn't realise <laughs> you were flying back to 1964. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was I've, a useful man, actually. He was the chief pilot at Air Painter, So they're very uh, helpful with picking you up and dropping you off. Okay, we'll throw into this interview that uh, Kathy's recorded for us. And after the interview, uh, we've got a package that we recorded at the Australian Centre for Mission Aviation at Coldstream uh, about uh, four or five weeks back now. Uh, we took our little mobile studio out there and uh, set it up, and we've got three interviews to play there. So that was a lot of fun out there, although it was very, very cold. So, uh, Kathy, uh, tell us about uh, who we're speaking to in this interview. So there's Mark Lowry, who's the chief pilot at Airwell Pena, and he does most of the talking. Um, he's been there about 12 months, and I think he's committed in that job for a little while. And he was great. He picked us up and dropped us off and organised us and he was incredibly helpful um, with our trip. And then there's Daniel Clayton, he's 24, Scott Cooper's 27 and Bo Andrews is 27. And the thing that I found impressive with these guys, apart from they were very nice young boys, is that uh, they all paid for their own flying lessons and did it themselves. And some of them took five to seven years to get through it. So I was really impressed with them. Yeah, they're nice guys. I'm talking to Mark Lowry, who's the chief pilot from Air Wilpena at Wilpena Pound. Hi, Mark. Welcome to Plane Crazy. How are you, Cathy? Good, thank you, Mark. That's good. Now, you're the chief pilot at um, Air Wilpena. Can you tell me a bit about yourself, where you grew up and how you got into flying? And then we'll talk about what it's like working out here and what you hope to gain from it and where you hope to go next. Um, spent a lot of time on the Air Peninsula. was born in Port uh, Perry and then uh, spent uh, about eight years in uh, Lop country town on the peninsula and then uh, spent uh, the rest of my life on the uh, south coast of uh, Fluoro Peninsula about an hour drive south of Adelaide, Victor Harbour. Got into flying through friends of the family. They owned a uh, Cessna 210 and used to go out with them every now and then and every now and then and sit in the front seat with uh, a guy who uh, owned that and that sort of got me interested and then uh, used to go back and forth between Cleve and Adelaide on uh, Wyler Airlines and the Chieftain and got to uh, sit up front uh, every now and then with them. That's uh, where it all sort of got me interested. So where to do your training? Started with uh, BA Systems in uh, Adelaide at Parafield. First got my private licence in 2002 and then uh, left flying for about five years to uh, save up the money for my commercial and sort out whether that was uh, definitely what I wanted to do with my life. Explain to your parents. Why you explain you... to my parents, yeah, <laughs> why I wanted to go on with that. And five years later, 2008, I came back and finished my commercial licence with Forsyth Aviation, did the uh, theory with uh, TAFE, 
and uh, did a accelerated course with uh, Nathan Higgins to do my ATPLs and studied the other three uh, self-study. So is this your first commercial job? Yes, it is. First commercial job. How did you come to be chief pilot within 18 months? Um, meteoric rise. It's uh, the last <laughs> last three of your last three years here has been pretty high turnover for pilots here, um, especially with Lake Air and Flood. The guys have been getting their hours up, uh, their thousand hours up within 12 months. So 12 months here, and uh, the uh, chief pilot was uh, ready to move on. So they asked me to take on the role, and I said I'd give them 12 months for that. So how many hours did you have when you came, and how many have you got now? Came here with about 210 hours. Uh, the first 12 months I was here, I did 850 hours, and now about a year and a half in, I've got about 1,450 hours. And what do you fly? Uh, we've got uh, one Cessna 206 and three Cessna 182s. And how did you get the job? Um, how did you decide to come here? How did I decide? It was uh, through many applications to many companies. I uh, went to Darwin for six months. I'm trying to get work up there, but with only 210 hours, uh, with a lot of guys with 500 to 1,000 hours, it was a hard struggle. But uh, one of the resumes I put in was uh, was to here, and uh, being a uh, South Australian uh, guy, they sort of uh, called me and asked me if I could come down, and so I made the trip back down from Darwin and uh, flew down, and uh, a week later they rang me and said I had the job. The uh, face value counts for a lot here. So, so you turn up and... You've yeah. got a better chance. But yeah, if you turn up and uh, show your face, you've got a real big chance, yeah. So you've got three mates here with you. We've got Daniel Clayton, Scott Cooper and Bo Andrew, who are all Airwell Painter pilots as well. Did you guys all count? You're all South Australians? Yeah, that's correct, all of us are. Daniel, how many hours did you have when you came here? Uh, I came with about uh, 260 hours, so a little more than Mark had at the time. But uh, got about a bit over 700 now in about six months' time. So, yeah, pretty good with the uh, Lake Air flights at the moment, pretty busy. How many times have you been out there? Uh, go about uh, about three times on average a week, I'd say. They're about a four-hour flight all up. What's so good about it, about Lake Air? Oh, you know, it's great. Um, just uh, it's quite rare to happen. It doesn't usually happen too often. The but every uh, Yeah, the flooding event, usually about every 25 years. And just the um, just the size of it, and the, uh, you get nice colours in it and uh, the bird life as well. And uh, Scott, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Windsor Gardens, which is about eight kilometres northeast of the city. And you guys all learnt to fly at Parafield together. And so, Scott, how long have you been here? I've been here about two months now. And how many hours did you have and have you got now? I had 205 and now I have about 330. And have you been to Lake Air or are yes. you just going round and round the pound? No, no. <laughs> That was the uh, initial stage, but now, yeah, plenty of Lake Air flying. Okay. So, what do you fly mostly? I'm uh, still on the Cessna 182. Uh, there is a insurance requirement before we can fly the 206, so uh, that will be coming up shortly. And uh, 400 hours minimum yeah. for the 206. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. And what about you, Bo? You're a South Australian as well. Yeah, and that's flight Parafil. Yeah, I'm from the Adelaide Hills, so up on the side of Mount Lofty. And uh, did my training with the same uh, company that Mark uh, did his with at the end, uh, Foresight Aviation. Went to TAFE as well. I've been here for about four months now. Yeah. Um, just short of 500 hours. So So what's the? how many hours are you aiming for? At what point do you say, that's it, I can move on now? The standard is 1,000 is hours instrument rating and try to move on. So and that's about... 12 or 18 months worth of flying here? At the moment it is, yeah. Probably it used to be more like two years, but uh, at the moment it's around about 12 months. 
Who are the main clients when you're taking up your joy flights? Are they Japanese tourists or German main backpackers client, or main clients sexy little is... Swedish masseuse? Or... <laughs> we wish. <laughs> Who's we coming wish. through? Who are these people? <laughs> main clients is uh, the average age is probably uh, anywhere between uh, sixty and uh, seventy. <laughs> oh, is the is the average age of our of eighty percent of our clientele? So you're all still single. Um, all single? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Oh, um, uh, half of us. Single, yeah, two of, <laughs> two of us, two, two single, uh, two uh, tight at the knot, but uh, so they're mainly older people, yeah. So, ma- mainly as bus coaches, like yeah, Outback Spirit, Langley's coaches, APT, and uh, yeah, bus coaches uh, coming through, and uh, they'll do the scenic flights around here. Even our Lake Air flights is mainly uh, grey nomads, as they say, caravan yeah. couples uh, traveling around Australia is mainly our Lake Air flights. We do get uh, a lot of families as well, um, and the occasional couples uh, as well, middle aged couples. But uh, yeah. So, Will Painter Pound is a really unusual an amazingly um, feature of the Flinders Rangers. Yeah, it's like a natural amphitheatre uh, for the, the Flinders Rangers. It's, uh, you know, you've got uh, the Flinders Rangers spanning uh, 300k south of here to Melrose and 300k north of here up to Arkarula and so on, and you've got the Wilpena uh, smack back in the middle of it. When you do your scenic flights around, you go clockwise. Clockwise, on orbit. Yeah. Frequency 1267. 1267, yep. So um, you don't bang into each other and you can no. talk to each other. Yep. Around <laughs> um, about 4,500 is our standard. Uh, Height for our scenic flights, clockwise orbits around the pound. Where did it get its name from? Um, what is a pound? Well, Pina comes from from the Adnamutna tribe. The Adnamutna tribe were the Aboriginal tribe who used to inhabit this area. And Wilpena, roughly translated in the Adnamutna language, means cupped hand or outstretched fingers. Right, because that's the shape. That's the shape. Um, the word pound, that comes from an old English word for enclosure, as it was used as an enclosure by the Hill family to keep sheep in the centre many years ago. How big is it? How long is the flight around? How long is the flight? 30-minute flight is our standard flight around here. We do do a 20-minute uh, flight, which is uh, more for the uh, people that uh, don't like being up in the air, air too much or airsick. <laughs> so uh, we'll paint a pound as 1,500-metre walls, is that right? 1,500-metre walls, yes, correct. Uh, 17 kilometres long, 8 kilometres uh, wide, and the uh, circumference is about 56 kilometres and it covers about an area of uh, 100 square kilometres. Is there any grazing or cropping or what happens now? No, no grazing or no cropping any uh, anymore. The Hill family were the uh, main inhabitants uh, after the Adamutna tribe and they uh, they tried to grow wheat in the middle of the pound but were pretty un- unsuccessful with that yeah. and they also had uh, yeah about 120,000 head of sheep in the centre but uh, over a that area it was just uh, too overpopulated and not enough feed for them, so mm. that didn't last too long either. We went for a walk today up to the um, Wangara Lookout, the cottage, Hills Homestead, the Hills Homestead. Yep. It's beautiful, and then yes. I was going to stop there and get the bus back, but I just was enticed to go to the first lookout and then the second lookout, and then I, next thing I know, I'm a goat and I'm climbing up the rocks. Yep, and it was absolutely beautiful. It's worth the views, the, yeah. uh, the lookout, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible place. All the research I did before I came, the consistent opinion seemed to be that the best view is from the air. Oh, definitely. So that's yeah. your best advertising? Definitely, your... yeah. That's what's... Uh, well, a lot of our advertising is, is word of mouth. Uh, yeah. A lot of people will come here and say their friends have uh, flown over it before and uh, to get...
get the perspective, you've just got to fly over it. You just can't get the same perspective from the ground. How many employees here at the resort? Everybody seems to have been in for three weeks, all the waiting yeah. staff. Um, <laughs> Everyone's fantastic. There's, all someone, there's a gorgeous little waiter who talks like Prince Charles. <laughs> Prince Charles. There's yeah. a German girl who can't remember the name for the dessert. She no. said, oh, it stands and it dances. <laughs> Yeah, that was for the flummery. We have a lot of backpackers come through here. The the management and the uh, pilots are the other long-term stayers. So what we did today, that's pretty much it, unless you want to go. It's all bushwalking. Is all bushwalking or a lot of the four-wheel driving uh, in the northern parts of the National Park as well, up around yeah. the gorges, Bunyura and Bratchner. So how many private flights would you get into the Wilpena Strip? Because Wilpena Strip's short and a bit scary. That's it? right. It's only, it's only 650 metres. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got hills at each end. You've got the... The ABC range to uh, one end and also the uh, internal uh, ranges around Wilpena at the other end. And it's got a hump in uh, one end in the 09 threshold. Sounds so awful. That, uh, that cuts that uh, runway down to about uh, 500 to 550 metres. So anybody coming in here, we do like them to ring in advance and uh, gain permission from the chief pilot. I guess the uh, the rule on flying in here is to, to ring and ask. And uh, if the pilot's not confident with that 650 metres, uh, we ask them to go to uh, Ronsey Park, which is... 22 kilometres uh, south of here, 1,200 metre strip, and we're happy to pick them up from there. Yeah, it's a great strip because we landed there and it's limestone top, isn't it? Big wide strip, nice That's big right. windsock in the middle. No, no hills at each end and, uh, yeah, yeah, very, very easy safe. for. Uh, and it's just off the road. So just off the road, yeah. Easy, yeah. So how many private flights would you get through a year? How many private people like us hang pe- around the bar? Anywhere from... 15 to 20 or, geez, it's hard to say, maybe 30 or 40 through private flights through Wilpena. But uh, in the January between Wilpena and Rawsley, up around the 50 to uh, 50 to 100 mark uh, for the whole 12 months. And are most people travelling through to Lake Eyre or is it as a destination or is it... Uh, it's uh, it's definitely a... Uh, a stopover? A, a stopover. A... You've, you've mm. got to stop here for a night to, to appreciate it. Uh, a lot mm. of people are travelling through to Lake Eyre or north uh, northern parts uh, up around Alice Springs. Mm. We have a, you know, a lot of Jabaroos uh, come through on their way up north to uh, Darwin. Guys in the Cessnas coming over from the eastern states just to stop over for the night and uh, go back via Broken Hill or Burke. Have you had any good experiences? Tell us some war stories about being a pilot at Wilpena Pound. You guys, between the four of you, must have some. Uh, it's kind of a, a good introduction into the area itself. I, I went on with Brad, he, no, another pilot who just left here recently, the first flight with him, and just uh, see the route and the you know the commentary that uh, we do here. Familiarity. Yeah, yeah. and uh, as we're coming into land, it was uh, I was pretty happy with his approach. I thought it was a nice approach, and he flares out and... Just as he does, we have about three or four kangaroos run right in front of him, and I grabbed the dash thing, and we we're going to go straight into him. And you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't used to having uh, kangaroos jumping around the place. And he, you know, put uh, did the go around technique, and uh, still managed to just touch one of them with the uh, one of the wheels for the light touch, but uh, managed to get out of that okay. And it was a good introduction into the area. And uh, I reckon that's the one we saw today with the dicky ear. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good experience and, uh, you know, I was better off for it now. I'm always aware yeah. to uh, look out before we uh, 
just looking yeah. out for him at all times. Yeah. Dusk of dawn is, uh, yeah, you've got to be wary at the time of the day. And emus. Well, is emus, uh, shocking, stupid animal. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, what about the goats? There's signs about goats. Everybody? Goats, uh, no problem out there at the airstrip, but we do have a, a lot in the area. Yeah. Um, but uh, emus are the big pain that you've got to watch out for. They uh, can hang around for quite some time around the runway. So. Is there anything um, for people, say, like me, coming from southern Victoria, flying up here, is there anything specific to outback flying that, that you can pass on as a lot of people from the east will be doing this trip to lake air a lot of people tend to think because it is the outback they won't do uh, radio calls so some people obviously it's quite busy airspace out here but um you know they have the odd odd aircraft who doesn't really do many radio calls so we're constantly communicating to each other so probably just uh, radio calls in that sense what have you learned about outback flying since you've been flying out here actually as opposed to, like, because you guys were pretty much straight out of flying school. What's been the biggest surprises or your advice to somebody who's in flying school now? It's very different to a commercial training situation in terms of... Uh, you mean the realities of the job? The, re- the realities of it, yeah. It's, uh, Don't think it's going to be a breeze. You've got to put in the hard uh, yards to uh, get what you want. So do you find this, you don't just rock up and fly the plane and then put it away you clean no, the plane you do the bus driving because you came and here, picked us here up here at Wolpina Pound you are more of a uh, tour guide than a pilot right. to start with yeah. you're the refueler you're the bus driver everything so who owns so, the company? Um, it's owned by a company called Anthology. They're a, uh, oh, so they own the resort as well. Yeah, a Gold okay. Coast based company, eco-tourism company. Um, but Air Wolpina um, started off by Kevin Rashid who started the uh, resort here. It's the uh, second uh, oldest operating uh, air operator certificate after Qantas. Oh, I'll be. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> wasn't in my notes. Um, and then uh, Keith and Dean, his two sons, took it over. Yeah. And uh, Keith uh, Rashid, he's still our head of aircraft, uh, airworthiness and maintenance. And where are the women? No women pilots? Uh, no, there has been w- women pilots here. Quite a lot of women pilots have gone through here. Where'd they go? Um, Arika Maloney, she now works for uh, Qantas Link. Okay. Uh, Georgina Sutton, she's a Qantas uh, 767 her. captain. And you're yep. in Kent. Yep. Yeah, that was a long been... time ago, though. That was a long time ago. Yeah, we're, we're probably due for a, for a, for a female pilot yeah. in the scene. So, Mark, what would be your ideal job when you... If, like, I can't imagine you would ever leave here, but... Um, <laughs> plan to leave here. Your boss is listening. In case your boss is my, my ideal job would be uh, flying uh, international... Um, for a major airline on a 747 or an A380 would be an ideal uh, job okay. for me. So an airline. Airline, definitely. What about you, Daniel? Yeah, uh, you know, exactly the same as Mark there. I'm, I'm uh, you know, looking for the airlines. Just and, take uh, it as far as you can. Yeah, that's right. How, did you come from a flying family? No, no, uh, no interest. Uh, so no, yeah, just... Done uh, it all by yourself. Yeah, that's right. Just uh, I had, had no plan to go into flying until I uh, had to start picking my own subjects at school and flip through the job guide book to uh, see what, what I should what should I do later on in life and uh, thought pilot would be a good job and just stuck at it from there and picked the subjects needed and continued on and it's been great ever since. Did you fund your own flying? Uh, at the beginning of it I took a year off, deferred for a year, went through UniSA and uh, deferred for a year and worked in a factory to get save some money up and saved a reasonable bet amount there and then um, during the about second year of uni I was pretty low, I was coming to my, you know, end of my funds there and 
luckily uh, they seem to change a few things and you can now put on hex fees so I just jumped on that and okay. put the rest of it on hex fees so I'll be uh, paying it off later on in life now. So you must have been keen to get Yeah absolutely so uh, no it's uh, good now and uh, helps helps out with the hex fees at uni uh, yeah. a lot of people are able to do it now where they wouldn't have been able to before. Yeah and what about you Scott what would you like to do when you get uh, out of here get out of this paradise? Airlines that's the ultimate goal yeah long long haul or domestic yeah. So, uh, and do you come from an aviation family or? Not at all. No. no How no. did you get the idea? I was uh, 19 when I decided I wanted to be a pilot, and uh, I was actually studying a diff- uh, degree and wasn't enjoying it. So I was down at the airport one day and wanted if they did work experience. So I did yeah. that through uh, just asked around and through National Jet Systems at Parafield. No, it's at Adelaide Airport. At Adelaide. Yeah, oh, okay. National Justice is back then, but now Cobham. Yeah. And uh, did a week's work, the work experience, and from day one, thought, yes, this is the industry I want to be in, and yeah. that was the first time I've been on a plane at 19, and wow. started studying at 21, and yeah, five and a half years later, here we are. So, so you funded it yourself as funded well? Funded it myself. Oh. Um, three jobs at one stage, and yeah. as the others will well know, you put in the hard work. Yeah. You get out of it what you put in. It's and, expensive to get into. Isn't it? And sacrifice, like mm. uh, with the goal in mind. So. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Bo? We're all flying doctors. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I want to work uh, in the southeast section, which is Tasmania, Victoria. Mm. Um, hopefully, but uh, that's a long way off at this stage. But yeah, I like that idea of. Uh, Flying for a real reason. Yeah. Um, and helping people. So, did you fund your flying as well? Or did you? Yeah, absolutely. I worked as a uh, swimming pool manager um, yeah. for quite some time. How old were you when you started? When I started, I was 18. Oh, okay. I had a little bit of a break there in the middle um, of my training. I, I decided that it was um, not a good idea and came. Well, I went away from it, came back to it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, when I came back, I really knew that I wanted to do it. Yeah. So, I think that you need that drive, otherwise, you just just get pushed out by the realities of the job at the uh, at the bottom end of general aviation. So where are the jobs around Australia now? Obviously here and like air, the um, GA jobs, like the first jobs, like GA you know. jobs. They they say a lot of the jobs are uh, in the Northern Territory and northern parts of Western Australia and Queensland. But uh, it's not always the case. Do your research, and uh, you know there's lots of little operators around the place that uh, you don't find out about until you're in the industry so it's always uh, a matter of uh, keeping up those contacts and uh, net- networking is, is the big thing <laughs> never uh, discount anybody that uh, you know take their details and uh, knock on their door yeah good advice all right well thanks guys anytime good luck thanks Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviation. Do you have the need, the need for speed? Jetride Australia is the country's premier fighter experience and the perfect gift for every budding Top Gun. 
From mild to wild, Jetride tailors each flight individually to give you the mind-blowing ride of your life. To make the dream a reality, check out jetride.com.au slash pcdu or Aussies can call 1300-554-876. Jetride. Forget the rest, fly with the best. Looking for a different way to promote your business? Our podcasts are a great way to reach listeners across the Asia-Pacific region and a growing audience around the world. We can produce your ad in-house in a variety of styles or use your own pre-produced commercial. With an expanding online aviation community of professionals and enthusiasts, our podcasts can get your name out there. For more information on our advertising packages, go to www.plainecrazydownunder.com and click on the Advertising With Us link. It's what's down under that counts. I'm James Williams from Podcasters Emporium and you're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, now proudly part of the Lifestyle Pod Network. Dr. Bruce Searle, welcome back to uh, Playing Crazy Down Under. It's been a couple of years since we last had a chat. That's right. It's great to be back on this lovely, warm, sunny day in Coldstream. <laughs> oh, mate, not, not a cloud in the sky and it's so cooking. I'm glad I brought my shorts, Bruce, I can yep. tell you. <laughs> oh, mate, it's been a bit of a shame about the uh, typical Melbourne weather. We've had rolling showers, a bit of low cloud, but uh, on the whole, it looks like there's been a few people showed up. Well, we've been delighted with the number of people. It, it looks about the same number, I think, as last year, and we had much better weather last year. In fact, except the ground was about as was wetter last year. Wetter? Wetter last year on the ground. But, um, yeah, it's been a terrific turn-up. Bruce, tell us about some of the activities that uh, ACMA's been involved in uh, since we spoke to you last. Well, we've been continuing on our... Uh, standard programs in flight training and engineering training for mission aviation. One of the most exciting developments though in the last two years has been the establishment of a, an en- aircraft engineering training program for high school students and that's being done in partnership with uh, what is now called Rangers Tech which is a consortium of uh, Mount Evelyn Christian School, Donvale Christian College and Mountain Districts Christian School. So they've established a uh, a technical skills training program based in Lilydale, and our role in that is to teach the uh, aero skills training segment or the aircraft engineering segment. And uh, frankly, I see that as um, uh, one of the uh, primary planks of our future because uh, that's where our recruitment's going to come from. Oh, indeed, and uh, they're using the new hangar that's just been put up near here. That's right. That's the first federal government money we've ever seen here, and it's been a, a great blessing, actually. So, yeah, That's terrific. That's wonderful. Now, uh, this actually continues a theme that we've had on, uh, from our, our show a couple of episodes back where we spoke to uh, Brentwood Secondary College, and they're doing a uh, pilot program there teaching uh, kids how to get their uh, RAOs uh, yes, licence, which, which has been a fantastic thing. So this is uh, another side of that, getting young kids interested in the engineering side, and uh, that's, that's so important, isn't it? Because a lot of people think flying, it's, it's, it's just uh, pilots, but really there's a lot more to it than that. Well, as a lot of the engineers here say, pilots bend the aeroplanes and the engineers <laughs> fix them. But uh, the, the flight training, yeah, there's a lot of schools doing that uh, across the country. And that's our next step also, is to do flight training for year 10, 11, 12 students as well. That's awesome. We've, uh, we had a chat with uh, Peter Dow from uh, yep. TVSA, yep. and they're doing the uh, the vet fee help. That's so right. It's really great to see all this work do- being done to get more people in aviation. We've got a, an aging population of lamies and uh, pilots. We've got a you know, new generation coming in, but that's aging as well. Yeah, same problem. In fact, the, um, the forecasts for the next uh, 10 years are that there needs to be about... 550,000 new pilots trained and about 600,000 new aircraft engineers 
and the biggest segment of that is in the Asia Pacific. Yeah. So it's a huge issue. Yeah. And tell us about the participation rate you've had with this program. You've got a lot of kids uh, wanting to do the program. Is it oversubscribed? We're not oversubscribed. Flight training tends to be um, fairly full from year to year, but our real need is for students in aircraft engineering. And um, there are places all over the world now where aircraft aren't flying. They're perfectly okay, but they can't be maintained because there aren't specialists to maintain them. And that's uh, that's the same in mission aviation, and that's our real need is for uh, people to come through and be trained as aircraft engineers. And uh, so, what kind of training is it? Is it basic training on um, on piston engines, or do you get what levels of uh, coverage do you have? Yeah, we're different from a lot of. Um, uh, licensed aircraft maintenance engineer training because we have to special we have to specialise in training people to maintain a whole aeroplane. Um, in airlines, somebody might be uh, detailed to maintain wheels, for instance. Another person will be detailed to maintain aircraft seats. We can't do that. We have to have people who are trained sufficiently to be able to maintain the whole aircraft. So they have to be able to maintain an airframe. Uh, and an engine. Avionics is becoming very specialised. Um, but it's not just piston engines. In fact, um, as of next year, one of our partner organisations in Mission Aviation in Papua New Guinea will not be operating any piston-engined aircraft at all. It's all turbine engine. Wow. So the next step for us, as of next year, is to gear up into training on turbine engines as well, and we're in the process of doing that. And uh, additionally, uh, starting next year, we're starting a, um, a specialist maintenance program in maintaining helicopters. Oh, that's going to be pretty intense. Yes, and we've been uh, fortunate to be able to get on staff a Swiss gentleman who previously was chief engineer for Heli Mission in Papua. So he's going to be here uh, hopefully within a couple of weeks. Do you find a, a uh, increasing role for rotary wing uh, aircraft up in that part of the world? Yes, um, I, uh, I, I guess you could say it's increasing. Um, there's still obviously a place for fixed-wing aircraft because choppers are expensive to operate, but there are places you can't get into unless you have a chopper. So uh, if you really want to get to remote people, uh, you have to think about the use of helicopters in certain places. Yeah, because some of those uh, strips, you just can't get into them. There's, uh, they, don't, they don't have space to make one. They're That's on the exactly side of right. I mean, we have, um, we have some airstrips that our folk operate into. They're only 350 metres long, which is pretty short, half the length of the one here at Coldstream. Uh, but there are places where you can't even get a strip of that length. And yeah. if you can't, you're either going to walk there and take months to do it in a very dangerous situation, or you're going to use uh, rotary winged aircraft. Yep. And flight training is obviously a big aspect of what you do here at ACMA. Um, how many sort of pilots do you sort of have running through this facility at any one time? We have generally uh, 10 to 12 in the course at any one time. Uh, most of them are here for between a year and 18 months. So at this stage, that's fairly much uh, the limit of our capacity. But if we have a higher group, want a higher number wanting to train, then we obviously add aircraft and we add instructors, and we can do that. And what sort of, I mean, this is obviously a, a, a Christian-focused organisation. What sort of character traits, I guess, are you looking for in someone that's coming to look to work for you and do their training here? Yeah, there's, there's a list of them. Um, and uh, actually, some of them get imported from aviation generally. But obviously, we're looking for people who are committed to what God is doing. 
Uh, they're not in aviation just to um, retire rich. They're never going to do that in mission aviation. They're never going to do it anywhere um, in aviation. <laughs> but uh, we're looking for people who are committed uh, both to God and to serving people. And that, by nature of mission aviation, means generally they're going to be operating in a fairly either a remote area or a tropical area. And that can be tough. So, um, you know, people have to be aware of that. Probably the characteristic that is more important uh, in terms of personal characteristics is teachability. If somebody's not teachable, then uh, frankly in aviation they're a very high risk. And that's an interesting part too. You're talking about people that have to be suitable for operating for extended periods of time in, in that part of the world. I mean, do you do sort of psychological screening along those lines? or We do a little bit of that uh, before entry into the course. But after they have finished the course here, the, generally the mission aviation organisations do that extensively. One of the things that comes out um, in our training program and in others is that particularly with our type of operation where you have a um, sole pilot operating from day to day, the decision-making processes that that person uses are critical. So that's one of the areas that... Um, mission aviation operators through their assessment programs are looking at is how does a person make decisions and are they consistently correct Uh, so there is a certain element of psychological profile that is very appropriate to this sort of ministry last time we were here you had the Cessnas you had an air van I looked out on the line and I see a MAF an ACMA painted uh, looks like a Jabiru there (laughs) yeah it's not a Jabiru it's actually a flight design, which is a German-designed aircraft, and it's the metal version of that. It's a new trainer that we have, a uh, two-seat aircraft, and we're actually proposing to get a second one within 12 months. Uh, they're the new um, cutting edge of training aircraft, and they, they actually started in the light sport aircraft movement. Uh, that's where technology has um, taken over. The, the, the certified aircraft movement is... Uh, steeped in tradition and uh, legal issues. The light sport aircraft movement doesn't have those same restraints and so technology has been able to be applied and has just taken off. And this new aircraft, the uh, flight design um, metal concept aircraft that we're operating, has a whole lot of um, uh, technological improvements over our old Cessnas that are just amazing. And in fact, the performance of it is far greater, it performs much better than our Cessna 172s in terms of um, its ability to climb, similar cruise speed, it's actually got a wider cabin, um, so there's a whole lot of features about it and it's much cheaper to operate. Yeah, so that you're using that to do um, VH registered GA training, yes? That is a VH registered aeroplane, it could also be registered with RAOs, the Recreational Aviation yeah. Australia. And the second one we get probably will be with RAOs. Okay, so you can start people, build them up through the RAOs That's aircraft, correct. then take, transition them to GA because those yep. hours are transferable. That's and correct. And on. and, and um, the RAOs uh, approach is particularly suitable to training for high schools. Yes, definitely. That's what we're finding with um, Aussie Air Services and so on. Yep. Is, and uh, it, hats off to RAOs. They're doing a great job of, of Absolutely. working with high schools to get more kiddies flying. Yep. But um, I, last time we were here a couple of years ago, we were talking briefly about the Kodiak. You'd flown it, you'd looked at it. Um, are you considering getting one here for here in Australia or is it more Highlands? No, we're not considering getting one. Uh, 
Turbine training is specialist training and it's post uh, the type of training we do. So we do up to commercial licence and then advanced training. After that, people need to do type-specific training such as the Kodiak. The Kodiak would be a very expensive aircraft to operate in a training regime here for a school of our size and uh, it simply wouldn't be economically viable to do that. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you are going to operate it up in the highlands through the group or things like that. They're operating them in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, SIL Aviation has them there, yeah. and um, they're finding them, I think, very suitable for their operation. Bruce, if somebody uh, was considering uh, perhaps uh, doing their training uh, through this organisation, what would be the best way to uh, approach contacting you for that? The best way is to get onto the website and get the details. www.acma.vic.edu.au Sounds pretty good to me. That's fantastic. Bruce, we really appreciate you uh, hosting us here today. It's been a wonderful day despite the weather, but uh, it's, it's been a great day. Yeah, it's great to have you guys too. Thanks for your help. Thanks, Bruce. Well, we're here in a relatively warm office at Coldstream Airport on the uh, mad day, and uh, I'm here with Judy and Andrew Doak. Um, Judy Doak, you're the owner of Coldstream Airport. Yes, aren't I lucky? Yeah. <laughs> it subsidises the farming. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, how long has the airport been in your family? Since 1962, my father started, uh, Jim Doak, he started, and um, yeah, he got interested in flying, and then... Um, he was learning to fly about that stage. and um, So he decided to uh, plough out some of your land and make it into a bit of an airstrip, yeah? Having a farm, we had plenty of land and we had some, um, some kind of flat, low-lying land. So, yeah, he was very keen on it. So that was, that was started. It was just grass originally or did he go straight for gravel, do you know? No, it was originally a, a all grass strip, but um, later on when we got busier, um, yeah, there was too much traffic for a grass strip and we turned it into a stone or gravel strip. So. Yeah. Especially as on a day like today where it's a little bit wet. <laughs> so if you get a few days like that, a grass strip becomes quite difficult to use. And the advantage is it's built up a little higher, so okay. it keeps dry all the time. It drains itself off. Mm. Yep. Mm. Especially this year where it's been a, one of the wettest years we've had and some of the other local airstrips have stopped operating and mm. we've um, kept going yep. through the winter. Now, um, you just mentioned before, Andrew, that uh, you've got some other airstrips nearby. Now, we're quite close. We're only about an hour's drive out of the heart of Melbourne and um, you've got Lilydale just nearby. In fact, you share a common traffic advisory frequency here. How has that been for you? Are you finding that... Is there any major competition between the airports or things like that that you're aware of? Look, Lilydale's always been a bigger airstrip than, than us but um, yeah look we get on pretty well you know we both got to work together so yeah. Um, yeah. There's an interesting story isn't there about how these two airstrips came into being here in Lilydale I mean they, they sort of set up not that long apart back in the in the 60s. How did that come about? Yeah we put an application in and it, I think it was the Department of Civil Aviation then I yeah. think and um, then ours got lost and they put one in six months later and um, theirs got through but um yeah, so we Dad was friends with Arthur Shutt, so um, he had plenty of power in the in the aviation industry. And miraculously, they found our application again, and um, so they had to give us an airport. That's why they're they're less than five nautical miles apart. Right. It is fun to take off from here, and um, then suddenly, oh, there's a Lilydale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Look, people say this has got a, an easier atmosphere, a more rural atmosphere, and yeah, they they like flying here. Yeah, we're not right. that far out of Melbourne, as Grant mentioned. Yeah, it's you know it's still looking at the window here and it's it's where you're you know several hundred kilometers out of melbourne it's right in the middle of some beautiful farmland it's it's a nice setting 
Yes, green wedge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, we have um, some of the old guys that have been flying here for 35 years or 40 years, and um, some of them, they don't fly anymore, but they still come up a couple yeah. of times a week because they, yeah, they like the yeah. atmosphere and, and, you know, the rural sort of setting. So, yeah. yeah, and it's a little bit more than a sleepy airport, though, because you've got Royal Vic still here and you've got um, the MAF guys, well, ACMA, mm-hmm. who are throwing the air show today, the um, Australian Centre of Mission Aviation. So that, that gives it a little bit more of a buzz and a bit more, not quite corporate, but a bit more uh, more than a few folks sitting out on the porch in front of their hangar, yeah? Yes. Yes, we've, um, I mean, we've been to council and we've we've got an expansion plan and, and plans to put more hangars here, so... Um, that has gone through. It has gone through. Excellent. And, and um, so there's four um, kids in the family, and we run it as... The kids run it now, and with the help of mum, and um, so it's a bit, it's, it's a bit more progressive, and yeah, we hope to keep yeah. that rural atmosphere, but yeah. expand it a bit, and yeah, yeah it'll be a, a good little setup. It's good that you mentioned it. Uh, I mean, expansion is great, but you mentioned Green Wedge, which is an interesting thing because we we find with the cities inevitably growing. Is this airport under any sort of uh, threat from from development from the, the urban sprawl in the future? Do you think? Well. <laughs> Not really, because we've been here a long time, and there's there's not many neighbours that have been here since the um, airport started. And um, this is zoned for um, you know flying special purposes. So yeah, pretty safe area. And um, my father Jim Doak, he was he was always friendly with the neighbours, and if there's any problems, he sorted it out. And we have a, um, a thing called a flyer friendly policy. So any of the neighbours have a problem they come and see us and we sort yep. it out any plans to seal the runway and make it tarmac or staying with the rock gravel we've looked into it it costs a lot of money and some of the um the private guys you know don't want it and mm. some of the other ones do it's yeah i mean it, it's it could be possible in the mm. future but i mean you've got to spend a lot of money so you've got to get it back um increased fees fees and, like and that. all that sort of thing so yeah that's that's the way but i I'd love to do it, but whether it's viable, it's got to be viable. With the bigger airports around, uh, Moorabbin and Essendon, for example, um, you know they charge a lot of money now. They're privatised to, to um, park your aircraft there. Have you found, since those sort of fees have come in, that more and more aircraft are sort of coming out to airfields like this? Have you seen an increase in, in tenants here? Well, there's been a slow increase in planes here. I think it, when you get to putting tie-downs, you've just about used up all the space along the... Ooh. Yeah, we... I mean, we've got a lot because um, some of the airports, other local airports, they, they um, it was so wet they couldn't use them, and um, yeah. so we had a lot of inquiry. We got a lot of inquiry about these new hangars and all that. So yeah, we, we you know it's a steady, steady increase, and um, it's great. And we've just had the approval from the council for the development plan, and it's it's a it'd be a slow movement, but it's. A, it's getting more hangers because planes are very expensive and people have a lot of money tied up. They'd prefer to keep them undercover. It looks a beautification and it'd look quite smart if we ever get around to do it. <laughs> <laughs> having little cells where there are hangers around a square and be gravel. It'd be gravel in a okay. U section with seven hangers off each one and it'd all be landscaped and, um, yeah, and access roads and um, we've got plans to 
maybe have premium tie downs on seal on gravel relative to where we are at the moment would you be putting um, setting up on the other side or is it going further down no, everything's everything's on so the, the east east okay. of the, um, the strip yeah okay. that's otherwise you'd have to cross cross yeah. it and um, we we put a road so there was it's a bit hickledy pickledy now the way the hangers once the people built hangers and dad just said yeah so um yeah we're going to run a road behind to keep the traffic the the, the air, air traffic and the cars apart and Good yeah, idea. all that sort of i come up here to visit andrew with his yak who's just starting oh, up oh, at the yeah. moment oh, yes. i've gone flying with him a few times and uh yeah you come up and you go past this building we're in now the the acma building and then Oh, well, is this a taxi road? Is this a road? Oh, there is it. Yeah. It's always fun because yeah, you, you will get aircraft crossing in front of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Hopefully, yeah, with this new plan, everything yeah. sort itself out. So, yeah. Cool. Oh, there's Andrew firing over the yak. Yes, got a lovely okay. sound. Well, <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. And that's what we like is people who own airports who love the sound. It's great. Uh, I always remember, what was that film, that Australian film? And this old fellow that had a house beside the airport. Oh, the castle. The castle. The castle. And he's sitting there in his deck chairs. Oh, this is wonderful. I love sitting here and watching everybody's come and go. They were set up next to Essendon. Where you are, you can sit on the balcony and the veranda. I can sit in my kitchen on big windows and across the airport. Oh, great. So you you enjoy the view looking down on this street? Oh, yes, yes. Cool. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say about uh, Coldstream? No. I'm allowed to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. We very much appreciate your time. And thank you also for maintaining this airport. It's it's delightful to have a beautiful strip like this in a green area so close to town. So thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Our privilege. Andrew Temby, welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under, mate. Thanks, guys. It's exciting to be here again today. Cool. Cold and wet outside, but excited to be here. <laughs> it wasn't really good weather for the uh, aerobatic display today. Oh, mate, any day's a good day for aerobatics. Sure, the cloud was a bit low and we had some rain and threats of hail and there was that blow of the low stratus there for a while, but... Uh, look, we managed to sort of fit between the clouds and find a bit of clear sky, and uh, it was a good fun, good fun time. Excellent. Now, uh, last time we caught up with you was at the Melton Air Show, wasn't it? Correct, correct, Grant. Yes. Been a lot of stuff happening since then. So, what have you been up to? Oh, mate, we've been flying all over the place. Uh, we've been doing a truckload of um, just transiting around the countryside in the Yak and. Uh, a lot of little private um, aerobatic displays and a little bit of bit of aerobatic training along the way as well, which has been good. Keeping your hand and keeping your uh, working your routines. Working the routines, working particularly uh, with uh, routines for days like today, where the, the weather is adverse, and uh, having a, having a routine that fits for a bad day and be comfortable with it is, is all important. When you say doing uh, private air displays, is that like uh, corporate gigs? That's yeah, a little stuff? bit of corporate stuff, a little bit of corporate gigging and also so I, I actually had to do a funeral out in the valley not all that long ago too, which is an oddball one. I had never done a uh, aerobatics display for, at a funeral before, but um, that was a, a fun occasion for me. Um, perhaps not such a nice one to, uh, to be involved in the funeral kind of thing, but anyway... I've heard of missing man formations, but I haven't seen aerobatics at a funeral. Yeah, it's it's different, isn't it? Yeah. It's different. Okay. Mm. And uh, what's what's the near future holding? Uh, how how are you going with the yak? Are you uh, 
Are you still enjoying it? Are you, you thinking about upgrading it or anything? Oh, look, Yak, Yak is good. Yak is, Yak is sort of not one of your crazy planes, as, as you can see, in the sense that it doesn't have the roll rate and it doesn't have the munch of your sukhois and your extras. It's not that kind of machine, but... Uh, it does. It does take a lot of um, practice and a lot of training to be able to achieve good figures, quality figures, and and be safe in yak. Uh, it is a very capable aerobatic plane, as you have seen today. It will tumble and it slides backwards. It does all those fancy things, uh, but everything needs to be everything needs to be orchestrated. It has to be done well with yak. It's it's strong, but it's 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 not a it's not a Sukhoi, and it's also not an extra. There there are things that um, that, that you can damage by not doing the manoeuvres correctly. As yes, we heard some rumours on the grapevine that you might have been looking at another aircraft, perhaps with a slightly more turbine engine in it. Oh, look, there's always rumours getting around L39s, things like that. Yes, L39 is a good aircraft. You know, I've been in one of those. Well, I've gone a bit soft on the jet idea when I heard about how much fuel I have to find for it. <laughs> yeah. I live in the wrong country, you know. It's, there's no oil wells here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to be sitting on an oil well to be able to afford that. That's right. And and I, I think I'd miss, you know, the tail slides, the tumbles, and, and you know, the, the, the pure aerobatics that you don't get out of the jet. And I can't afford both, so um, I'll let you know if I ever can. <laughs> Yeah, it's more of a graceful linear kind of aerobatics rather than the grunty throw it around and, and gyroscopic and so on, isn't it? Yeah, look, I'm going to get a go one day. I'll, I'll pay the money and, and, and I'll, I'll get a jet endorsement, I think, just to get that out of my system. Well, we know the right crowd to go and fly with an L39 with. I'm sure we can uh, organise something for you. You'll kick that in for me. Good on <laughs> you, boys. We'll, we'll, we'll get your intro. Need that. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much for coming back on the show, mate. And, uh, to catching up with you the next time you're flying. Good luck with it and thanks for having us on again. Cheers. Flight experience 556, you're cleared for takeoff. Imagine sitting in a pilot seat, flying past London Bridge or the Eiffel Tower, and landing at just about any airport. It's not just a flying experience, it's flight experience. From the roar of the engines to amazing visuals, flight experience puts you in control of a 737 flight simulator. It's so real, your senses actually believe you're flying. For more information, go online to flightexperience.com.au or call 1-800-737-800. Flight experience, the ultimate flying experience. Experience. G'day, I'm Michael. Hi, I'm Rosalind. And, and we're, we're from, from downwind.com.au, the website for aviation enthusiasts. Come and join a community of passionate aviators who'd love to share about their experiences and the joy of being in the air. On Downwind, you can participate in forum discussions, view great photos and videos, and keep up to date with a weekly newsletter. So come and join the community at downwind.com.au. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. Thevoicesinyourhead.com Well, there you go, folks. A great little set of interviews that we recorded out at uh, Coldstream Airport. And, yeah, definitely living up to its name, Steve. was kind of cold, but uh, a wonderful day and really great to catch up with some uh, very interesting people out there. Absolutely, mate. It was freezing the day we went out there. But uh, I tell you what, 
It's a wonderful facility. Coldstream is, um, you know, it looks like a little country airstrip, and to think it's, uh, you know, it's not far out of Lilydale, right on the border of the Melbourne suburban area. Um, it, it's lovely out there, and uh, the facilities they've got there at ACMA are first class. I was uh, very, very impressed with the uh, with the hangar space that they had it all set up in, and uh, yeah, it was very generous of them to uh, let us set our mobile studio up there, and uh, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, you and I plus Anthony and um, and ATC Ben, it was it was great. It was it was a lot of fun getting out there and meeting some people and. Once again, catching up with Andrew Temby. Of course, he's got his Yak 52 based out there. So I go out of every now and again to go uh, pull some vitamin G and have a bit of fun. Life's better inverted, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, mate, uh, that mobile studio, um, I think this is what the second time we've actually really put it together and used it properly in the flesh, so to speak. And I think it's coming together quite nicely, mate. Yeah, I was pretty happy. And, of course, our friend Alan uh, is uh, also helping us now, and he can set up uh, – he's got these huge speaker towers that are weatherproofed, and, uh, yeah, we can set those up too. We set up one that day and set it on the quietest setting, and uh, it was still quite loud. But uh, yeah. in a couple of those interviews there, you can actually hear it echoing in the in the background. So, we, uh, yeah, we can uh, certainly put on a bit of a show there. And we should mention, Grant, that uh, we're, we're quite keen to get out to uh, other aviation events and uh, get out and around and about. And uh, we're quite happy to bring our studio to, uh, to any aviation event, as long as it's uh, reasonably close to where we we live we are based down here in melbourne but uh, we can come further afield uh, i guess with a bit of sponsorship but uh, yeah we're really looking forward to uh, doing it a bit more often yeah no it, it is great to get out and meet people capture some stories on the spot uh, there was a, a lot of folks that we spoke to out at Coldstream that we didn't have time to interview on the spot there was one uh, great chat we had but unfortunately the sound didn't work out so we're gonna have to re-record that probably um, catch up with folks either in the flesh or over skype but uh, yeah it was also great to make contact with a lot of people i've been wanting to meet up with um, in the aviation industry who are out there and start establishing who we are so that we can arrange some chats with them later, uh, MacArthur Job being one of those people. I was really impressed there talking with uh, with Bruce Searle about uh, you know the, the program that they've got going, uh, getting out there into the high schools and pushing aviation jobs and not even just necessarily flying jobs either, but uh, you know the, the Lammy jobs, the engineering jobs, maintenance jobs. I mean, all this sort of stuff is important and if we're not careful, we're going to lose these skills in this country. Uh, yeah, and so it's, it's really positive and following on from our trip out to Brentwood Secondary College uh, a month or so back now. There's some really positive things going on. It's great to see. Yeah, definitely agreed. And as you said, they're covering more than just being a pilot. There, there is a huge range of activities that go into keeping the aircraft in the air. Um, the pilots, as we say with the RAF, being the pointy end of the wedge. Absolutely. Now, here's something. They say you learn something every day, Grant. I didn't realise that it was actually a privately owned airfield uh, or family owned airfield. So uh, great to get out there and get that story. And uh, Kathy, I believe uh, you know some other members of the uh, the Doak family. Oh, we know Jamie, the ag pilot. We went out to Coldstream in the beginning, in the very early days, to look at buying a block there to build on the airport. It was um, why didn't we go? I think it was we just thought it was too far. We didn't know anybody over that way. But I think if we had our time again, we might have considered it. But it's a beautiful spot and a great airstrip and they're really nice people yeah. so I enjoyed listening to that interview if you're interested in having us uh, come out and uh, you know uh, bring the Plane Crazy brand to your next aviation event you can always drop us a line here playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com and uh, we'll see what we can do uh, about getting out there it uh, doesn't take much so uh, we call it a mobile studio but it's, uh, it's a table a mixer and a bit of our computer gear and uh, we can set up quite a number of uh, speaker towers as well and um, you know what we're thinking of doing actually is not only doing interviews live but we can also play uh, some other of our uh, more popular interviews and some of our content and uh, scare all your guests away. No, that's not right. No, we can actually entertain your guests. No, no, I no, can come and sing. Well, so I Kathy, can come out and sing. Yeah, Kathy can come and sing, Grant can dance, yeah. and I can laugh at you both. So it should be a bundle <laughs> of fun. That'd be great. I thought 
thought I'd be the one kept out the back. And, you know, hey, pay your five bucks. Come and see the weirdo. Yes. Kathy, uh, your interview there, uh, that was a great interview with the guys. And uh, once again, we really appreciate you going out there and doing that because uh, you were actually out there doing some uh, some paying work for your writing career. So it was, you know, I just thought I'd seize the opportunity and uh, send a recorder your way and said, here, get me an interview. So we really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we had to line them up after dinner. They were waiting in the bar and said, uh, we're ready. I said, well, just let me finish my dinner. And um, yeah, they were great guys. The lucky thing for these guys that I found in the inter- um, after the interview talking to somebody else there was Airwell Pina actually pay them award wages, give them six weeks holidays. And Mark, the chief pilot was saying, you know, it's the best thing about working here is we're never pressured to do anything that we're not comfortable with. So, you know, it's a pretty good operation that they've got running out there. They've been doing it a long time. And um, that business was started by the Rashids in the 60s. And uh, they only sold the business about three years ago, along with the resort when that was sold. But they still have a hand in running it. I think uh, Keith Rashid is still the manager, managing the airline. The the one thing that really stood out to me was um, how quickly they're, they're building up their hours there. I mean, those guys must be flat out. Mm, yeah, they are. And I think there's one part in the interview where I said, uh, oh, Lindy and I might come out next year. <laughs> I'd love to have been back, just finished a commercial licence and be heading off there. I had uh, career envy. Well, uh, we should uh, we'll put some links in the show notes to uh, the Wilpena Pound Resort, uh, but that's at uh, wilpenapound.com.au and uh, also some other links to uh, some other operators that Cathy uh, uh, came across on her travels, including Mungo Lodge, which is uh, mungolodge.com.au. Mungo Lodge is quite a popular um, fly-in destination too. They host a lot of group fly-ins because it's quite central. It's like a quick hit of the outback and it's actually not that far away. And I know some of the flying schools down here in Victoria will use... Um, Lake Mungo as a navigation exercise. But once you get there, you're kind of stuck. So we um, hooked up with this great fella called Trevor Hancock, who um, is a bit like Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) He's fantastic. And he took us on a journey around probably for a couple of hours to see some, you know, old wool sheds and up to the visitor centre and out to the walls of China and looking at Aboriginal artefacts and hairy nosed wombats and things that are just lying in the sand because the rain event they had last uh, summer has washed away a lot of the sand and brought up a lot of the old artefacts and stuff, which they just leave there. But you have to have a tour guide to be able to go out onto the sand dunes to have a look at them. So I just thought it was fantastic. It was a brilliant trip and great destinations that are accessible. So it's a good triangle to head to Lake Mungo and then over to Wilpena Pound and do some bushwalking and then home again. Fantastic. Well, I think I'd do all of that except for the exercise bit of bushwalking. Can you just sort of sit around and wait till the other bushwalkers get back? <laughs> I grizzled and whinged the whole way, but actually it was a really, really easy walk and I was only going to go to the homestead and then I thought, oh, I'll just go up the first lot of stairs and next thing I know I'm a goat and I'm up on top of the <laughs> uh, on top of the boulders. And I got to the top and texted my husband and said, I'm at the top of Will Peanut Pound. He said, did you whinge all the way? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. He knows you so well. So, no, yeah, 20 years. So, um, yeah, but no, it's easy. I was overtaken by geriatrics in heavy jumpers and small children. So, yeah, it's not that hard. And we might actually put a a picture of the Bonanza up there and, uh, you know, we we, we don't mind mentioning that it's for sale. In fact, Grant Grant and I are thinking of uh, throwing together, you know, a a bit of spare change and and buying it, Cathy. You should do that because then I can still fly it. I've got (laughs) $3.81 right here. (laughs) Bit of a down payment. Tell Dennis, would you? <laughs> I'll give him the bad news. All right. Well, that sounds like uh, just too much fun getting out there to the Atbeck. Uh, you know what, Kathy? I, I think I should have another holiday. I mean, I've been back at work eight weeks. I think it's time I had a holiday and did another trip just like you've just done. Sure, mate. Come and get the Bonanza. Absolutely. I'll take it for a test fly and I'll bring it back in about 2015. Is that okay? <laughs> you've had to talk to my father-in-law. <laughs> now, was that 2015 pieces? <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Come on, Grant. <laughs> Let's not lead this into a conversation about your car. Okay. Oh, <laughs> hey, they're all in very close formation. Thank and you very much. And speaking of people who don't drive cars, I think I can hear one coming down the street. Oh. Ah, uh, the late night posty. Hey, you do realise he's going to be uh, stood up pretty soon because, uh, well, okay, we'll wait until he's out of earshot before we talk about Facebook. Yes, absolutely. I don't know how we're going to do a uh, Facebook posty, but we'll come up with something. Anyway, <laughs> in the meantime, I have some list of mail here. Woo-hoo. And uh, we're getting uh, a lot of traffic through the uh, Facebook page, which we really appreciate, folks. But if you'd like to use the more traditional means, and it almost sounds strange saying that, but uh, email being more traditional, you can send that to uh, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. Grant and uh, a couple of people that have done that this week. Uh, now, I want to apologise in advance here because we're not exactly sure how to pronounce this young man's name, but I'm going to go with Keen, K-E-A-N-E, Keen Burke. Sends us uh, an email, Grant. Uh, Hi, Stephen Grant. My name is Keen Burke, and he's 12 years old and an aspiring airline pilot, and I live in Perth. He says he likes listening to the podcast, has been doing so since episode 50, and uh, he says he's absolutely hooked on the show. Well, you know, that's wonderful to hear. Not only that you're into aviation, but you like our show, Keen. We really appreciate that, mate. Uh, I'm a bit worried for the poor boy, I tell you. He goes on to say a couple of other really nice things about the show. We appreciate that, mate. Uh, He also says that we uh, helped to get him hooked on UCAP. That's the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast for the Uninitiated and uh, the Airplane Geek Show, which along with yours, I am always checking to see when the new episode is out. Uh, he's just finished listening to episode 75, uh, which he found really interesting, and he learned a lot from it about aerobatics. Uh, and he signs it actually signed Keen Burke, Aviation Nerd. Well, I think that's great. I, I think that's awesome. And uh, to have somebody of that age uh, already with his eyes firmly on the airlines, Keen, all power to you, mate, and uh, take in as much of it as you can and, uh, you know, really immerse yourself in the culture of aviation. And if that's what you want to do, uh, make sure you study hard. Uh, you know, when you're getting up into high school, make sure you uh, write up on maths and write up on all your, uh, you know, your physics and stuff like that. Very, very important, uh, particularly if you're looking at the airlines or uh, going into the Air Force, uh, anything like that. So uh, really encouraging to see. And uh, thanks so much for for uh, sending in that email, young man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, there's only one little problem, Steve. I uh, may have put a spanner in the works of his hard-studying future career. Um, I pointed him at the voicesinyourhead.com, the aviation media network, so he now has a whole lot more podcasts to listen to and watch for the next episodes when they come out. So, uh, yeah, sorry, Keen. Um, this will help teach you how to balance that because you can't just listen to podcasts all day, every day. You do actually have to study like Steve was saying. Yes. 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 And don't do what I did when you're 12 and study <clears throat> basketball. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can see how well that worked for you, Steve. Yeah, it's working for me. <laughs> anyway, Grant, oh, uh, what's the other one we got there on the listener mail list? Well, mate, the uh, other one that I've just found here in the uh, pile of uh, paperwork that uh, the Midnight uh, Postman brought through is uh, one from our mate Ed Stubbs. And uh, this is really interesting that the postman was able to grab this one off Facebook and uh, put it through to us because uh, we put a message up on Facebook just before we started recording this saying, hey, folks, if you know of any events or things like that, let us know. And uh, Stubbsy came up and said, hey, I've sent you an email and lo and behold, it arrived on the bike. Very well done. We asked about events. We were sort of asking about events coming up, but Ed decided he was going to rub our nose in the fact that uh, he's been hanging out at the Langley Park Fly-In put on by the Sport Aircraft Association of Australia on the same runway used for the Red Bull air race in Perth last year and uh, he said it was two great days of aero nerdvana and uh, mate looking at the photos he sent through I can agree uh, mate aero neuropycosis is pinging away basically he said uh, all the air- aircraft flew in landed at the park about a minute between touchdowns and then demo flights including Matt Hall and the MXS uh, got on underway and same kind of thing the next day static and aerial displays Matt Hall again he claims it was like a mini Oshkosh
Josh, but in Perth. Um, yeah, we'll get back to you on that one. Uh, but uh, 100 aircraft landing at Langley Park. Um, Steve, what's that relative to Oshkosh? Uh, it's very small, but I tell you what, Langley Park is uh, not that big, but it's actually um, it's actually a great spot. It's right there on the Swan River there in Perth, and uh, it is a beautiful spot. Uh, it would have been small compared to Oshkosh, but uh, 100 aircraft there at Langley Park would have had it quite full, I'm tipping. Oh, definitely. We were going to go to that. Oh, cool. We were going to fly the Cub from here across to Perth. That's love, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Dennis has this dream of landing on the beaches. Well, look, there's there's an aircraft, uh, Ed sent a photo through that uh, I've seen some videos of that's aerobatic and it's smaller than the Cub, but it's only got a single seat. It's the Columban Cree Cree. Have you seen that one? It's got like two, huh? it's got what looks like a pair of chainsaw motors sticking on <laughs> pylons off the nose oh, and God. this big bulbous canopy that the pilot sort of sits in and it's 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 sort of like watching the guy from The Incredibles when he gets out of his little car and he's a mm. really big guy. It's that kind of look. But it's I, I've seen video of people doing aerobatics in these things. It's really amazing. Mm. It's a cree-cree. It's really cool. We'll put a so photo of the, the show notes. the event a success? How often do they do it? Well, according to uh, this entry at aeroclub.com.au, uh, they're saying that the uh, SAAA Chapter 24 organising possibly the last Langley Park fly-in. So seven years or so it's been going, did you say, Cathy? It's, now it's gone? I mean, that's no good. Yeah, I think it was. I read that on the website. Yeah. We yeah. were looking forward to going. We had it on our list of things to do. Well, now we have to do something else in Perth. Maybe by the time we get there, it'll be back on again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, let's let's see if some of our crew over in Perth can uh, look into it some more and check with the SAAA Chapter 24. Absolutely. And we thank, uh, we thank Ed Stubbs for uh, once again uh, sending us in uh, great information. Uh, he's a very keen participant in uh, many of our uh, activities here at PCDU and uh, we rely on Ed to uh, keep us up to date on what's going on over there in the West because, uh, well, we don't get over there very often. Not nearly as often as we should Grant. Yeah, I'm still bummed I missed out on going over there for Red Bull. Well, anyway, that brings us to a bit of a uh, something that we'd like to start running uh, on most of our shows from now on, which is, uh, I guess, for want of a better expression, would be a bit of a community notice board. We'd like to, uh, you know, keep people uh, appraised of uh, aviation events that are going on around Australia and around New Zealand, for that matter, anywhere uh, in this part of the world where there are uh, interesting aviation events going on. And, uh, Grant, we actually put that out on the Facebook page, as you said, and we've had quite a number of responses. And uh, one that we know about that's actually coming up very, very shortly, in fact, hopefully I can get this uh, edited and out beforehand, <laughs> because <laughs> it's on the 22nd of October is uh, our good friends down there at Aus Air Services at Turidan. Uh, they're having their wings night. That's on the uh, 22nd of October 2011 at the Arco Restaurant at uh, Monash Drive, Lindhurst. Uh, so if uh, you're interested in that, uh, I know they've, uh, they're, they're great people here at Aus Air Services. We talk about them a lot because we like them. Yep. I'm sure they'll look after you. So uh, ozairservices.com.au or also turidanflyingschool.com.au for uh, more details about their wings night. And uh, Grant, there's also another wings night we want to talk about. That's right. That's the one that's happening at uh, Moorabbin Flight Services, mfs.com.au, on the 19th of October. They're having their wings night. So it seems to be uh, quite a cool thing to do and get everyone together, have a bit of a uh, fundraising dinner and uh, talk flying. Absolutely. And the MC for that night is uh, Tim Smith. Now, uh, that will be... Oh, a- really? <laughs> yes. Now, that will be a great night. And, uh, you know, if you've been following our Facebook page in particular, you'll know that we've recorded an interview with Tim Smith and our intention is for that to be the next episode unless uh, something happens 
in the meantime. But uh, yeah, that was a, a really, really fun interview. And um, I'll tell you what, if uh, if, if Tim is uh, going to be the MC of that night, well, that's one that you'd uh, really want to make sure you get to. In fact, Grant, I think we ought to get to that one. And uh, folks, you can check out uh, mfs.com.au for uh, more information about that one. That's right. Uh, it's on another event coming up a little earlier than that, not the 19th of November, but the 29th of October. Our good friend Baz over in Adelaide has sent through a reference to the Port Augusta Open Day. Um, you can get to that one by going to the uh, aerocene.com.au slash event slash 24 dash port dash Augusta dash open dash day dot HTML. Suffice to say, that will be in the show notes. And uh, Grant, one of the other uh, really interesting uh, aviation events that's uh, coming up very shortly is up there at Holbrook, which is roughly halfway between Melbourne and Sydney up there on the Hume Highway. And the uh, Holbrook Ultralight Club is uh, having a fly-in and uh, they're also going to combine that with a uh, Jabberoo Fest. Now, the uh, Secretary of the uh, Holbrook Ultralight Club is uh, John Harvey and uh, a little bit earlier this evening I uh, spoke to him on the phone about uh, what's happening up there at their annual fly-in. Joining us on the line from the Holbrook Ultralight Club is their Secretary John Harley. G'day, John. G'day. How are you going? Yeah, thanks for joining us, mate. Now, uh, the uh, the Holbrook Fly-In and uh, Jabberoo Festival uh, taking place up there at your airfield on the 5th and 6th of November. Tell us a bit about what's uh, going to happen that weekend. What we've got planned, I suppose, is, is a full weekend of activities. I mean, typically um, aircraft start arriving early on uh, early on Saturday morning. We've got a few activities for them, you know, lined up for them there. We, we typically run a few um, forums in the afternoon, a few interesting forums. One of the catalysts for the fly-in was... Uh, a discussion that we had back in um, in Narromine at, at Natfi back in 2006, and that was a conversation around um, the fact that the more traditional or the more older ultralights were starting to disappear, and 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 people didn't get to see them and 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 enjoy them. So I guess the catalyst for this particular flying was two things. One is to was to, if you like, set up a bit of a museum of historic aircraft. And the other was to establish a fly-in for the, the more traditional um, rag and tube aircraft. And so what we've done as a bit of a feature for this particular fly-in is to run some forums around some of our museum aircraft. And we've actually had uh, you know people come in and present at those forums who've had actual experience in flying some of these earlier ultralights and have been able to relay their experiences and their trials and tribulations in some of those early days. Uh, and that has been really rece- you know well-received by the um, pilots, um, you know, attending our um, attending our annual flying. What sort of attendance numbers do you get in terms of people and aircraft uh, traditionally over these sorts of weekends? It sort of varies a little bit, but if we can get, you know, if we can get something in the order of about 100 aircraft visiting over the weekend, um, then it's been a really good, uh, it's been a really good event. But, but I suppose as a bit of a measure of how attractive the fly-in has been, um, we held the first fly-in back in 2006 and it was such a success we decided to repeat that uh, the exercise and have our our second fly-in in 2007, and that was a complete washout. I think we only had one aircraft arrive over the uh, over the course of the weekend. But what amazed us was the fact that those that would have otherwise flown in actually drove in from all over the state just to sort of participate in the weekend, participate in the forums we ran on um, on Saturday afternoon and the and the um, the dinner amongst the aircraft that we have on Saturday night. Fantastic, and. Uh... Incorporating that, of course, is the Jabiru Festival. And, uh, of course, Jabiru is, a, is an aircraft uh, that's uh, really synonymous with Australia, obviously, being manufactured here. And we're seeing uh, larger numbers of them flying around these days. So that's obviously what's brought uh, this addition to your festival. Well, it has too. And it sort of lines up, as you say, you know, Jabiru is... 
uh, is a, an iconic and, and, and typically Australian aircraft, but it also has its roots back in the sort of, you know, late 1980s, at around about the time when, when most people were flying, if you like, the typical rag and tube aircraft that we were, we were talking about a moment ago. So it has, it's got a long history, um, and it's, over the years, I suppose, it's had a big following or an increasing following as well. So what we're, we're typically finding is that a lot of interested, a lot of, a lot of pilots and aircraft owners that have been interested in our flying have also uh, you know, flown in in their Jabiroos. So the idea was to sort of, if you like, sort of combine the two. It has that historic element because of the long-term development of the Jabiru in Australia and, and it also aligns with, um, you know, I guess, the theme of, um, of the flying, which is typically around um, some of the more historic aircraft. Fantastic. Now, you've got a dinner on that night, I notice, here on the uh, fly that was sent out and uh, you'll be awarding some back-to-Holbrook trophies. Uh, tell us about those, John. Uh, we have a range of trophies that we um, award each year. Uh, we have a trophy for the best single-seat ultralight, for the best two-seat ultralight. Uh, we have a long-distance trophy. Um, that's the um, longest distance flown by an ultralight to attend the fly-in. And, and one, of, one of the chaps that has been a regular attendee at the fly-in actually comes from right down in the southwestern corner of Victoria. So uh, so some of the pilots actually travel quite a fair distance to attend the flying. And then we have we have the People's Choice uh, Trophy as well. Now, as well as that, this year, uh, Jabiru Aircraft have kindly donated a number of trophies specifically for the Jabiru Festival. So um, they've um, got some really nice crystal cube trophies, uh, which I'm sure will be uh, hotly contested by the uh, Jabiru aircraft attending the flying over the weekend. Sounds like a lot of fun, mate. Now, just give us, uh, for anybody flying in who may not be familiar with uh, Holbrook Airfield, can you just give us some uh, stats about it, uh, runway length and runway numbers, that sort of thing? It's got two runways. It is uh, compressed gravel runway, so it's an all-weather runway. So uh, the main runway, which is um, 0422, uh, is 900 metres long. So there's plenty of room there, and it has a cross runway, which is 1432, which is about 700 metres. Uh, it has sealed taxiways at the eastern end of the main runway, and it's got a sealed apron area in the front, in front of the club hangar. So we've got plenty of cable tie-downs for aircraft that are going to be staying over the weekend, so they can securely tie down adjacent to the club area. Uh, this takes place on the 5th and 6th of November 2011. And, uh, John, where can people find out more about it if they want to have a look? They can either ring ring our president. He has uh, the best time to contact him of an evening, and his phone number is 02 6036 or they can log on to the club's website, which is www.holbrookultralightclub, all one word, .asn.au. Fantastic. That's holbrookultralightclub.asn.au. Uh, John That's Haley, uh, thanks very much for uh, taking the time to uh, chat about it and hopefully uh, once it's all said and done we might get you back on the line and uh, see how it went. That'd be great and thanks very much for the opportunity. You're very welcome. There we go, Grant. Sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, once again, as I said, we can't get up there to Holbrook for that event. But uh, if any of our listeners are going up there, we would uh, certainly uh, appreciate you uh, keeping us in the loop and uh, telling us about what's going on. And uh, I tell you what, uh, as for those awards for the one coming from furthest away, well, uh, John mentioned the other day we're coming from as far south as Victoria. Well, uh, I reckon we could get some people flying in from further afield than there. And the last one I've got, mate, is uh, came in via uh, Twitter, and that's Errol Wee over in New Zealand saying that Kiwi events are normally on the wing 
Wings Over New Zealand calendar, which can be found on, uh, I believe it's on Pro Boards. Uh, I'll track through the uh, shortened URL that is provided and get it to actually come up on the computer and put that one in shortly in the show notes. But yes, nothing quite like having uh, a whole lot of events in New Zealand that are really cool that we know Errol and Dan will be going to and we have to stay over here and gnash our teeth yet again. Yes, oh well. <laughs> yeah, well, there's one that's making me gnash my teeth a lot right now and that's that this Friday, the uh, RAAF are accepting their uh, last four uh, Super Hornets, brings them to a full force of 24. So at uh, about between 10 and 10.30 in the morning, uh, about 16 Super Hornets are taking off from Amberley, flying out to Stratty, that's Stradbroke Island, heading south down the coastal route to Tweed Heads, then uh, going further out up north, rendezvousing with the last four that are coming in uh, somewhere near Noosa Heads, then flying uh, coastal back down to Brisbane and then into Ipswich and finally landing where there will be a ceremony to accept the last four and welcome them in and a bit of a handling display. So, uh, yeah, all going on at Amberley. So those of you who are near there, I hope you had a great time watching it. By the time this one comes out, it will have been done. But uh, sadly, it looks like we're not going to be able to be there because, uh, yeah, my bank is empty. Steve's bank is occupied and uh, the PCDU bank is drained as well. Is depleted. Is depleted. Yeah. Post Oshkosh. <laughs> so uh, there we go. That's a bit of a uh, community calendar of some of the events that are coming up. And folks, you know the email address, under at gmail.com. You can also post them, uh, I guess, up on our Facebook page. But uh, of course, so not all of our listeners are on Facebook. There must be at least one that isn't. So uh, yeah, uh, let us know and uh, we'll be happy to uh, promote that You know, in upcoming episodes if you've got an event coming up. And uh, as we said before, Grant, if it's uh, somewhere that's uh, vaguely local to us, and I guess we'd say Victoria and uh, maybe you know far south New South Wales, somewhere that we can get to in a reasonable amount of time we've done tomorrow so uh, we can certainly bring our uh, mobile studio up and we're very keen to do that indeed you know the further away it is the more likely we're going to have to try and go out with the begging bowls on the streets of melbourne to get the money to get there but you know where there's a will there's a way and we'll get there absolutely well uh, that wraps up another uh, very packed episode guys uh, kathy thanks very much for coming along and uh, having a bit of fun with us again this evening no worries guys thanks very much for having me uh, it's been our pleasure and uh, i'm sure we'll find some more projects for you uh, you know in the future but uh, in the meantime uh, tell them listeners again where they can find you online on twitter i'm k-a-s-c-r-i-b-e kascribe and on facebook kathy mexted writing and photography fantastic so uh, send me a note yes send kathy a note find find story ideas for uh, for kathy to go out and uh, you know <laughs> uh, you know maybe collect for us but uh, kathy's also a uh, you know professional journalist um, she'd probably like to do some work that uh, you know <laughs> get some dollars in the bank account for her as well because uh, goodness knows we don't pay very well do we <laughs> not yet <laughs> i'm working well, on it well, Oh, there's, there's some faith, hope and charity, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, uh, thanks very much for listening, folks. As always, we certainly hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back soon with another episode of Playing Crazy Down Under. But until then, I'll tell you what, if you're going flying this week, and just remember this. It's what's down under that counts, folks. You've been listening to Playing Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel, and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.playingcrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast.
kind folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Okay. Okay. Ready? okay. So you want me to take it out or are you going to bring it out? Uh, well, you can bring it out. I normally bring it in, but you can do the welcome back, folks, and stuff. Oh, God, this will be scary. <laughs> Yay, Steve's let me take the wheel. Yay. Um, <clears throat> three. <laughs> what does this button do? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one. Yeah, well, it's been uh, with all the floods and everything and the um, breaking of the drought, the the lake is, it's what, three quarters full at the moment? Yeah, well, I don't know. I didn't get there. Oh, I thought you might have heard from from some of the locals, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing words that it's 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 drawing a lot of tourists. And yeah, I fell into that one, didn't I? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a 40,000-year-old, two 40,000-year-old. Can I start that again? <laughs> Most certainly. Edit point. <laughs> Can we edit that bit? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Maybe. So you don't get many women applying? Um, we get the odd ones, yeah. Um, odd I guess, women. Uh, but <laughs> women are odd. Oh, no, no. I mean, it's becoming uh, a lot more women in the aviation industry. And how do you feel about that? Oh, good luck to them. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh... <laughs> Staring you. We'll cut that bit out, love. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, there's a gaggle of men in here. This is, this is what you put up with when you have a balloon pilot on the show, Kevin. <laughs> oh. I don't know if I'd have him in the Bonanza, Steve. Yeah. Oh, it's all right. You've just, just got to inflate the wings a bit. Anyway. <laughs> Hello. You there, Grant? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, sorry. You started <laughs> he just got cut down by the mafia from Mildura. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mafia internet was- gods. Righto. What else can you tell me? How's the season been? How's the season been, Mark? The season has been fantastic. <laughs> um, the pilots, as we say, with the raft being the pointy end of the wedge. Sorry, the pointy end. <laughs> I was saying that in Kiwi. Uh, yes. I'm not an animal. Shut up. I am edit, a podcaster. Edit, 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 Steve. I am, I, I am a vegetable. <laughs> I'm not an animal. I'm a, I'm a podcaster. Yeah. Now, now, now tell us what what uh, it is for sale. It's a uh, what year is it, Kathy? What year, Bonanza? Nineteen sixty nine. Sixty nine, dudes. Ah, oh, you knew oh. I was going to do that. <laughs> I don't know evil. if we'd let you in charge of a Bonanza the way you fiddle with your knobs there. <laughs> oh, that's not going in. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that is so going in. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hang on a minute. We, the last time we had you on, we entitled it, that's not in the script. <laughs> we can't do it this time. All right. So what happens now? Is it finished? Uh, no, we just... <laughs> Are we done yet? Can I go? It's like being the doctor, isn't it? <laughs> say, you're getting in tune with your inner male, I tell you. Pause while I check. <laughs> <laughs> Moment, please. Uno oh. momento. Uno momento. <laughs> Uno momento, por favor. Necesito chequearlo.
What language do you speak, Grant? What language doesn't he speak? <laughs> no, I only, I only speak one language, mine. Dang. Let's talk about him while he's gone. It's okay, let's go for it. <laughs> so anyhow, I came in early the other day and I found him and he was, oh, my God. Oh, and it was, oh, my God. And it was, I just, oh, my God. <laughs> so just remember, it's what's down under that counts, folks. How's that, Grant? Oh, locus abajo. Yeah, in la cooking winter. Qué bueno. This is going to be an editing nightmare. Okay. 